，享受工作，乐生活。就算不在办公室，也能从容应对线上会议。HP Dragonfly 透过专业的 HP Presence 设计，内建降噪及会议快速键，搭配清晰的 Ben and Olufsen 音效，增强音讯及视讯功能。HP Dragonfly 顶级商务笔电，采用 Windows 11专业版。让您在会议中享有最佳的视觉和听觉品质。At Huanggang Fishing Port on Taiwan's north coast, burning torches once lit up the coast every night. Fishermen used a chemical property of calcium carbide to light fires in the water and attract small fish. The process was a tradition that spanned decades. However, as technology slowly made fire fishing obsolete. The sun eventually set on this unique tradition. In the years that followed, a handful of fishermen sought to revive the technique. Let's hear their story. It's evening at Huanggang Fishing Port in New Taipei's Jinshan District, and a light breeze fills the air. <laughs> However, the fishers are too busy with work to enjoy this reprieve from the day's heat. Boat captain Li Keqiong and his crew prepare to head out to sea once the sun goes down. Among the things they prepare is one very special item. These rock-shaped clumps of calcium carbide are referred to colloquially as electric rocks. Since Japanese colonial times, fishers have used them to attract schools of fish. Calcium carbide reacts with water to produce acetylene gas and calcium hydroxide, which ignites to produce a flame. Fishers use this property of the compound to light torches in the pitch-black darkness of the night to catch small fish such as sardines and anchovies. At the bottom of the sea, large fish eat smaller fish. The larger fish chase the smaller fish toward the coast. When the fish form a school, we can catch them. When the calcium carbide ignites, it makes a popping noise. Fishers refer to this fishing method as fire fishing. When they fish using this method, they have a clear division of labor and cooperate closely with each other. On one boat, there are at least seven fishers, and among them, the most important person is the fire master, the one who stands at the bow of the vessel holding the torch. Also, very important is the person driving the boat. They have to be very familiar with the coastline, and after them is the person who casts the net. These three individuals are very important. The fire master is also the boat captain, and whether to go out to sea on any given day or which direction to sail toward is up to him. Li has decades of experience as a fire master. His most important task, as such, is to locate schools of fish. I lay there, looking down into the water, my head lowered. When there are fish, the water will be blue. They swim continuously alongside the boat. A large number of them continuously swimming. They are just like fireflies. Hey! 
原住民时期的时候，那在凯达格兰族有有一个支族叫做巴塞。In the early days of the indigenous peoples, there was a subgroup of the Kedagalan called the Basai who lived near Taiwan's northern coast. There are records that say that the Basai used fire to catch fish like this along the coast from Nanfeng Ao up to Danshui. In fact, the records say there were 200 to 300 boats and waters along the coast that engaged in fire fishing. When my grandfather fished back in the day, it was very hard work. He used fire to catch fish, one torch after another. He couldn't let the fire go out. Later on, he used kerosene. He would have to work the kerosene with one hand while lighting the torch with the other. It wasn't very easy, so later he switched to using calcium carbide. For generations, fire-fishing boats stretched along the sea like shining stars, a sight that Jin Shan was famous for. This fishing method was actually first recorded in a Qing Dynasty-era text. During that era, there were quite a lot of literati who visited Taiwan to explore, and they gave names to some of the areas on the island. Eight areas in what is now Jinshan District were named at that time, one of which was Huanggong Fishing Port. Fire fishing is part of the coastal fisheries, and its season is from May to August or September. In the 1960s and 1970s, most fire fishing was done off the coast of Jinshan. And the practice brought great wealth to the district during that time. I've been a fisher since I was little. Back then, it was all fire fishing. There were 40 or 50 boats. In those days, Huanggang was like a city that never sleeps. The port was filled with boats, and the whole area was bustling with activity. Men would fish throughout the night and then bring their catch to women at the port who would gut and blanch the fish. Early in the morning, around 3 or 4 a.m., we would be up blanching the fish. By the time we finished it, it would be daybreak. With the sun up, we would put the fish out to dry. We'd first lay it on the ground and wash it, and then leave it there to dry. If the weather was good, the fish would dry out within a day. In an age of scarcity, dried fish would be a welcome sight on the dinner table for many Taiwanese families. It was also greatly enjoyed by the people of Jinshan itself. Sautéed with just some light seasoning, the Jinshan cooking method retains the natural flavor of the fish. They fish for half a year and eat the catch for a year. Once autumn sets in, you can't fish. You can only fish in the months around the start and end of summer. The practice of fire fishing, which was once profitable for Jinshan, fell into a crisis after the 1980s. The first problem the town encountered was its aging fishes. As society underwent transformation, young people began leaving small towns like Jinshan for the city. Improvements in fishing equipment also made fire fishing less attractive for fishes. There were great improvements to refrigeration, and there was also progress in fishing methods. Think about those who fish in distant waters. They head out to sea for long periods at a time, and they can catch quite large fish. 
the profits will be comparatively higher. With smaller boats like those used in fire fishing, you can't catch that many fish. Fishers are definitely going to choose what's most profitable for them. Coastal fishers now typically use electric lights, and their equipment makes it possible to do the job with only one or two people. This means the threshold for getting started is much lower than for fire fishing. Social prosperity has also replaced dried fish with fresh meats and poultry on the dinner table. The market for dried fish has shrunk. Due to this and other factors, during the 1990s the number of fire fishing boats dropped down to just one, and then it too threw in the towel. The flame had extinguished for Taiwan's fire fishing industry. Ten years later, a group of fire fishers gathered up their old equipment and headed back out to sea again. In the years that followed, three more fire fishing boats followed suit. They began catching Japanese sardinella in addition to the smaller fish that fire fishers traditionally caught.后来有一个契机，就是因为台湾当时的澎湖洋那个石斑鱼，那石斑鱼它据据说它很喜欢吃这种浅蓝蓝，就是这种青鳞鱼。An opportunity came along when fish farms in Penghu began raising groupers. Since groupers like to eat Japanese sardinella, this was a way for fire fishers to maintain their livelihood. Another important point is that groupers are very profitable. So the Japanese sardinella caught by the fire fishers could be used as feed for the groupers. When sold as feed, 36 kilograms of Japanese sardinella sells for only around 300 NT. However, as long as fishers can catch lots of the fish, this price is still worth the effort. In the past, in this boat's heyday, there was a year we earned over 400,000 NT, almost 500,000. In 2011, the Fire Fishers featured a National Geographic in an award-winning feature by photographer Shi Hongxiu. Then, in 2013, photographer Zhang Mingzhi's photos of Fire Fishers in action were featured in both the Chinese and English-language versions of the magazine, bringing the traditional practice to the attention of readers both in Taiwan and abroad. When the calcium carbide ignites, the sound scares the fish. They jump out of the water. Sometimes when the fish are at greater depth, we have to find a container in the boat to bang on in order to get the whole school of fish to jump out of the water. Fly fishing has a beauty to it created by the intertwining of light and sound. It also has a human element to it from being passed down through generation after generation. In 2015, the new Taipei city government recognized fire fishing as a cultural asset, and the four remaining fire fishing vessels finally gained recognition. But the honor was short-lived. On March 10, 2016, an oil tanker ran aground along Taiwan's northern coast, spilling oil into the sea and once again putting an end to the practice of fire fishing. With crude oil polluting the marine environment, the number of fish in the water dwindled. Fire fishers were forced to find work elsewhere, and this age-old fishing method entered a transitional period. Join us next week to find out what happened next.
With the death of Queen Elizabeth II, King Charles III has become the UK's new monarch. In addition, British Prime Minister Liz Truss took office just last week. Taiwanese experts say the two leaders will both have their hands full with multiple economic challenges. Inflation is at its highest rate in 40 years, and energy prices are rising owing to a revengeful Russia choking off energy supplies to Europe. There has also been continued devaluation of the pound, which recently fell to 35.1 NT against one pound. Let's hear what a local scholar has to say. This reflects the extreme deterioration of the UK's economy. Their economic engine has already begun to stall. The UK mainly depends on imported energy, and trade unions are very strong. When commodity prices start to rise, we see this pressure from inflation interacting with wages. This has come to the fore. The scholar notes that after Brexit in 2016, many of the resulting transitional economic problems are still around. Parts of the labor force that came from the EU have been reduced, while high commodity prices and frequent strikes have also struck a blow at the local economy. Now that summer's over, you may be breathing a sigh of relief that we didn't see any major power outages. But we're not quite out of the woods yet. There are worries that Taiwan could face another power crunch in autumn and winter. As Thai power officials say, some coal-fired plants will be shut down to reduce air pollution. Altogether, five units will be shut down to the tune of 2.51 megawatts. To compensate for this, Thai Power is planning to put some energy facilities that are under repair back online by early October. Hydroelectricity can also be used as a backup power source if supply is still tight. Whenever it rains, solar panels are rendered useless. Fortunately, the weather has been cool and people are using their air conditioners less. The nation's operating reserve stands at 12.22%. However, according to Thai Power's latest forecasts on electricity supply and demand, in early October, the operating reserve will drop to 7%. This sounds an alarm about the nation's electricity supply in autumn and winter. In October, we will enter the local air pollution season. Accordingly, the Taichung power plant will shut down three units and the Xingda power plant two units, so five units will be closed altogether. This will be a reduction of approximately 2.5 megawatts. The shutdown of the coal-fired power plant's units will coincide with the air pollution season in autumn and winter. This will cause the operating reserve to drop. In response, Thai Power plans to make repairs to units at the Mingtan Power Plant's Jugong facility, Tungxiao Power Plant and Datan Power Plant, and put the repaired units online before October 2nd. If it's done quickly, they'll be back to normal on September the 28th. And, if it's needed, supply from hydroelectricity plants can be flexibly adjusted by drawing on stored hydraulic power. A total of about half a million megawatts of hydroelectric power can be used as backup to stabilise the nation's power supply. 
The reserve capacity can be roughly maintained at 2.7 megawatts in November, and the operating reserve will be around 8.03 percent, so there will be no issues with the entire power supply. In order to manage a potential electricity shortage, an energy-saving expert has a few good tips for keeping the electricity bill small. This expert recommends that instead of worrying about power shortages, it is better to save electricity daily, making good use of your gas stove when cooking as a substitute for an oven. If you just reduce the use of your water heater for a month, you can save about 30 to 40 kilowatt hours of electricity. You can knock off 100 NT on an electricity bill covering two months this way. Other small savings include wearing clothes that don't need to be ironed, making use of natural ventilation and reducing the use of electrical appliances such as dehumidifiers so that precious power could be conserved. The Central Weather Bureau has issued a sea warning as Typhoon Muifa continues to draw closer to the island. It is now located directly east of Taiwan and tracking northward. It will be closest to the island on Monday and Tuesday. Now, whether or not a land warning will be issued will depend on how the storm will develop. Let's hear from a CWB meteorologist. As the typhoon gets closer tomorrow, strong wind gusts of 8 to 9 on the Beaufort scale will be felt in areas north of Hualien, Green Island, Orchid Island, the entire western coastal areas and Penghu and Mazu. We can see that there is precipitation in areas north of Miaoli, extending into the northeastern regions. From today until Monday and Tuesday, the rain in these places will continue and the rain will be more pronounced than today. From today till noon tomorrow, the typhoon may still strengthen. But at present, it looks like the strengthening will be limited. If it does strengthen, will the storm's periphery expand? In addition, as the typhoon moves northward, will the typhoon's path or atmosphere come closer to us? These are the variables that will determine whether a land warning will be issued. Despite the possibility that it may get stronger, Muifa is expected to remain categorized as a regular typhoon, and it'll pull away from the island on Wednesday as it picks up speed. The CWB is reminding the public that the lunar tide is at its strongest, which will last until Tuesday. So low-lying areas should watch out for flooding.